welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. Before we begin, do you know that we have a new website? You can find us online at chinmayaniagara.com. We're so excited for you to explore, to find our podcasts, and all sorts of other resources for self-development. In this next episode of the Meditation in Life series, we are now ready to learn about what our meditation environment should look like. Questions like, where should I meditate? What should I sit on? And what should be in front of me are answered. These initial external steps will help us move internally so we can have the most personal, transformative experience. One of the subtlest texts that you will ever study in Vedanta is called Ashtavakra Gita, also known as Ashtavakra Samhita. The first shloka, Raja Janaka asks Rishi Ashtavakra, how does one gain enlightenment? And in the next shloka, Rishi Ashtavakra answers this, and this is the answer he gives. Muktim ichasi chetata vishayan vishavatyaja. One line. Muktim ichasi chetata. Rishi Ashtavakra is this young boy. He may be 20 years old. And Raja Janaka is probably 100. And he calls Raja Janaka Tata. Tata means son. It's a term of affection. He says, Chet, in your mind, Ichasi, if you want, Mukti. What do you have to do? Vishayan. Vishayan means pleasure. You have to treat pleasure Vishavat. You have to treat pleasure like poison. And with that understanding, tyaja, which means to renounce or not to pursue. That's a hard message to process. How do you approach this practically? It's not that hard, actually, if you approach this with common sense. When we take a pleasure in our life, what we are expecting is peace. If you take a pleasure in your life and you expect pleasure, you'll have a fine relationship with pleasure and you will be free. If you expect possessions from possessions and positions from positions, again, you will have such right contact with 
the world, our wrong contact or lack of common sense is that we're pursuing pleasure, possession, and position, and what we expect is peace. As I'm sharing it to you, it seems so nonsensical, no? How can I expect peace from pleasure? That's what Raja Janaka is being taught. And for anyone who knows Raja Janaka, he already knows this. Then why is he asking the question? He's asking the question on our behalf. The word Raja means the one with the most responsibilities. And Raja Janaka, such a visionary, his responsibilities were not localized to when he was alive. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of forever. We become dependent on pleasure, possession, position. Rishi Ashtavakra is saying, stop depending. But we're dependent oriented. Even as we're sitting, we're dependent on the earth. We're dependent on people's support. Our course, meditation in life, is to shift our dependency from pleasure, possession, position, to peace. And the methodology with which to do this is called contemplation. Another word for contemplation is identification. When you identify with peace, you become peace. And I'll give you one more word. In Vedanta, there's so many words for the same idea and so many words are used because people relate to different words. It is bhakti. When Sri Lakshmana asks Bhagavan Rama, what is bhakti? Bhagavan Rama answers is dependence. Dependence on God is bhakti, is identification, is contemplation. And our course is trying to orient ourselves to that. Part two of the text, Meditation and Life, is entitled, The Process of Meditation. In the first chapter we studied, it's called Prepare for Meditation. There are five S's. They're all external. Factors that are needed to prepare for meditation. Thus far, we've covered three. I encourage you to write down your own notes. And uh, what I'm going to share now, I'm uh, strongly encouraging you. S1 is space. You should have a space where the sole purpose of that space is contemplation. Contemplation means self-development exercises. It could be puja, it could be japa. We'll stick with contemplation right now. And your space should be CSI. All of you have heard me say CSI before in the Bhagavad Gita course, the Advanced Vedanta course. Okay, so now you're all nodding. Tell me what it is. Okay, very good. I'm impressed. Good, good. Clean, simple, inspiring. I'm inspired by your medha. Your space should be clean. There shouldn't be um, leaves or any sort of dirt there. It should be simple. Nothing in that space that's not being used should be there. 
in this really large space where there's now there's 30 people here, I personally moved everything and vacuumed and wiped the floor because it's that important and inspiring. What's in this room should not be distracting. It should help us to focus. CSI. I like to call my contemplation space as the infinity room. We have all sorts of rooms, correct? A breakout room. We have the um, debrief room. What's that war room called? And they have it in that news channel too? Something room, okay. This is the infinity room. As soon as you come into this room, you should be reminded of infinity. Like our lunch room, right? Situation room, thank you. <laughs> the second S is seat. In your space, there's to be a seat. Whose seat is it? Your seat. Here, our retreaters, they've invested dozens of hours on these seats. I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's their own seat. Nobody gets to sit on it or near it, including mine. This is my seat. Because again, it's a reminder of how personal this journey is. Your seat should be broad. If you have a small hand towel as, as your seat, you're going to be sitting like this. It should be broad. It should be soft. And it should be firm. Broad, soft, and firm. Soft so it doesn't annoy your thighs, let's say, but firm where you're not sinking. The third S, sanctum. Space, seat, sanctum. Your sanctum is your altar. I'm just using alliteration so we can remember. And this too should be CSI. Your altar should be clean. No old flowers. No old malas. Simple. Ideally, you should only have two icons of your Ishtadevata, your God, and your Sadguru, or at most the Guru Shishya Parampara. And inspiring. Whatever you put there, you should love. You shouldn't put anything at your altar that you don't love, that you don't care for, in a very uh, deep sense your sanctum space seat sanctum the other two s's i'm going to tell you but i'll describe them later senses that's s4 and self that's s5 here self is with a small s as an example you should bathe <laughs> before you contemplate if there's enough water you should bathe <laughs> so this is what we've studied thus far. Now we move on to the next chapter. The next chapter is entitled, Inquire, Then Contemplate. This is chapter 14. Swami Chinmayananda, when you read his writing, it's almost like he's a historian and not a philosopher. The way he recollects and presents history is truly moving. And I'm gonna share what he writes in, in two minutes, very briefly. He says, back in the day, at the beginning of creation, that was known as the age of 
perception. When people lived in nature, they perceived thorns. They perceived threats from animals. That was the most that people used their minds for was perception. As creation evolved, the mind evolved, humanity shifted to the age of observation, perception to observation, such as when people saw dark clouds, they observed that what would come next? Rain. They observed that if you hit these two flints together, these rocks, they observed a spark would come out. Fire. Creation aged, the mind evolved. The age of investigation. That's the third age. And this became a very destructive age. This is where we started investigating using creation for our comfort. This is when we really took to damaging the environment where we started to feel that the world is for our use. Animals are for our slavery. And finally, people are frustrated with the age of investigation. We know that so much with just the climate movements. We are now in the age, or at least the transition to the age of contemplation the age of contemplation. And this is an important message because most of the time we hear, we're in a useless time, we're useless, this is Kali, everyone's distracted, everyone's sad. But here, Gurudev is telling us we're in the age of contemplation. And he references that, and if I can expand that, in 2019, this is the biggest weekly class that I teach, biggest by number. You are, you are in the age of contemplation because you know investigation is not going to lead to completion. Being an inquirer, knowing more about the news, knowing more about the soil, knowing more about what other people are doing is not going to lead to contemplation, sorry, to completion. So now you're contemplating, you're becoming an inquirer. And there's so many examples of people who evolve from investigation to contemplation in our scriptures. Raja, Jan, Raja Dasharatha is one of them. Again, how many wives did Raja Dasharatha ha have? Show me with your hands. <laughs> he had 365. 365 wives. He was unable to have a child with wives, wives one through 365. And when he realized that he can't find completion through his wives, in his case, that's when he went to Rishi Vashishta and said, you help me. So that's where he became an inquirer rather than an enquirer. Let's think of someone else. Devi Devahuti. She was in this uh, Vimana, this uh, pleasure mansion. And she was there for years. And she told Rishi Kardama, I don't want to die ignorant. And that's when Rishi Kapila was born and taught her. You're bound because of your mind. See, all of these figures show that sensitivity, there's more to life than using creation. The age of contemplation. 
a word that you must associate contemplation with is transformation. Contemplation is the most transformative verb you will ever engage in. So please visualize this with me. Okay. How many of you have ever been to a tanning bed? <laughs> Knowing the demographic of the people in this class, I don't expect, <laughs> expect to see too many hands. <laughs> but if you go to a tanning bed, I've never been to a tanning bed, but I'm inferring this was what happens at a tanning bed, is that I go in with a certain skin color and then I sit in this bed and that skin color is transformed into a darker shade. Or orange, in the case of some, personality, <laughs> some personalities also. <laughs> you, you transform into a darker shade, right? That bed is transformative for one's skin. In contemplation, we transform. And I mean this in the most literal way and implied way. You transform from the body to whatever's deeper than the body, whatever's next for you. It could be breath, it could be mind, intellect, ego. In, in the language of the Upanishad, nidhi dhyasana is needed to fix viparita bhavana. Please remember that terminology. Viparita means wrong. Bhavana means identification or notion or idea. I have this wrong identification that I am the body, mind, intellect, breath, and so on and so forth. And in contemplation, I start to feel I am Sat Chit Ananda. You start to feel that you are not in the world, but the world is in you. That factually happens. It is transformative. And I hope you're marginally more captivated by what I'm sharing. If you are, then you will dedicate yourself more to being an expert contemplator, not just once a week on Tuesdays for 20 to 30 minutes. You shouldn't be contemplating at 8.30 p.m. anyways. It's better than not contemplating but obviously we should be contemplating in the morning when we're fresher. Contemplation is experiential. And in other words, you have to have faith. You have to try. We're going to be studying Kena Upanishad in Ann Arbor soon and one of the main messages in Kena Upanishad is words try to describe Brahman or even the path to Brahman, but those words return because Brahman and contemplation is beyond words. Think of all that's beyond words. Describe to me the love you have for your child, the love for you, you have for your spouse. Finally, you can't describe it, correct? It's experiential. You can describe it to me so much, but I don't love your spouse the way you love your spouse. And you can use as many words as you want, but I don't. It's your experience. And contemplation is that personal. It's known as vyashti. Vyashti means individual. 
And final thought, you know, this whole chapter, chapter 14, is trying to take us from being logical to being faithful. Shrotriya is someone who's listened to the Upanishads from a live teacher. Listen to the Upanishads from someone who one has a relationship with. And that live teacher has listened to the Upanishad from another live teacher. A live teacher brings that message to life. In deeper contemplation, it is not even your effort that is going to lead you to contemplation. It is your Sadhguru, it is your guide's presence that is going to guide your contemplation. We felt that, I felt that most deeply in the sense that we learned contemplation directly from Swami Tejumayananda. And it was effortless because he's abiding in, uh, I feel, existence, awareness, joy. If you enjoyed what you heard or want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at facebook.com slash cmniagara. For those on the journey of self-development, Chinmay Mission Niagara provides a community forum for seekers to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmay Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.